Hello, and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical for Women, a nonprofit medical clinic offering free of charge or low cost reproductive health services to women in the Seattle area, regardless of income or insurance status. 3W does not profit off of the reproductive health choices women make. The information shared in this podcast is the opinion of the speaker or speakers. Medical information is not intended as individual medical consultation, but for general education only. Always consult your own health professional for personalized advice regarding medical decisions. And if you're in the Seattle area, consider making an appointment to consult with us. I'm Helen Nguyen, CEO and co-founder of 3W Medical for Women and the host of today's podcast. Hi there, Wellness Wednesday listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for hanging in there as we had to adjust a couple of episodes. And we're back in the studio. I'm back in the studio finally. Been traveling. That's been interesting. But we're back here with Christy, our amazing co-medical director and nurse practitioner here at 3W. And we're going to be talking about the rise of syphilis, right, Christy, in King County? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just a really important topic. And I was just sharing with Christy that it's it's been on my mind to talk about this topic because as I drive through Cap Hill, there's been a lot of graffiti around Cap Hill. For those of us that are not always tuned into healthcare and specifically STI, Cap Hill sends messages through graffiti on different buildings and stuff like that. And I recently ran across a a tag on a building that says syphilis is on the rise. So I, I, I came in one day and I was talking to Christy about it and she actually confirmed that a patient came in and said, yeah, there's been tagging and graffiti across our cities, across our city about syphilis. And so I was like, okay, we got to sit down and talk about this topic. So thank you so much, Christy, for making time for us and talking about syphilis. So let's just go over about what is syphilis? What are the symptoms? What are the effect and how is it transmitted? So educate us, Christy, what is syphilis? How, how, how do you detect syphilis and how do we get it? Okay. Yeah. So syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection. It's mm-hmm. caused by a bacterium called Treponema pallidum. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Wow. And it actually progresses in stages. So it's really interesting how it presents. And people basically that are exposed to one of the primary lesions can contract syphilis And there's a period of time, obviously, that it incubates before symptoms present. And then typically syphilis is most contagious during the primary and somewhat secondary stage of syphilis. But if it's left untreated, then it just continues to advance in the background and it Mm. can impact multiple body systems. What are these symptoms look like on your body? So... Basically, the site of exposure, if you have a little break in the skin, that would be the point of entry. And the person can develop what we call a chancre. And a chancre looks like a small sore. It might have 
an edge around like this oval or maybe it's round area mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's ulcerated. Does it look like a cold sore? Does I, it look you know like... what I would compare it to? I would compare it to like a canker sore in the mouth. Okay. Otherwise known as an aphthous ulcer. Okay. Because it breaks down the upper levels of the skin and it breaks down to kind of make this erosion in the skin. We call it an ulceration, but there's a ring of firmer skin around it kind Mm. of that makes a nice little boundary Mm -hmm. and it's painless. And that would be, I would say the hallmark sign of it. Okay. That it's painless because the lesion itself looks very uncomfortable. Okay. And I suppose it could get confused with, like a herpes cold sore that's healing. But the difference, the striking difference would be herpes is exquisitely painful along with other converging descriptive terms people might use. And Mm -hmm. the syphilitic chancre is painless. Mm. And it can kind of just sit there for two to three weeks. It spontaneously resolves. And then it progresses to the secondary stage of syphilis. So it's still in the background. Mm -hmm. And at this point, people might develop a palmer rash on their hands or on their feet. And that would be kind of unusual to see Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And that could be your next set of clues that maybe this person has syphilis if they presented in the clinic. But if If they develop a rash on the body, it Mm -hmm. could easily be confused with a different type of rash. Like eczema? Um, I wouldn't say eczema, but there's so many different viral rashes that you can get that somebody, they might not even notice it. It could be so mild Okay. uh, if it were on the trunk of the body. Um, At least that's what I I read about Mm -hmm. or I've heard about Mm -hmm. as I've studied it. I've not seen secondary stage syphilis present. Mm -hmm. I have had patients that I have diagnosed with syphilis, but it's usually a little bit more complicated. And oftentimes they either haven't had a lesion or they had a lesion and it's in the past. And so I, I wasn't there to see it. Just only a descriptive term from patients. Okay. So yes, and then if you miss secondary, it advances further into tertiary syphilis and it can cause a lot of problems with your neurological system. It can Mm. infiltrate the heart, the brain. You can have ocular symptoms. You can have issues with hearing. Wow. Yeah, it's it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. So so when a patient comes in... What type of testing do we do at 3W to detect if this person is positive with syphilis or not? So that's a great question. We do, there's different algorithms that you can use and it's really complicated. And so to keep it really simple for our listeners, I'm just going to say that we use the reverse method. Okay. And so we're looking for a reactive response from the blood test that we do. Mm-hmm. And then if there is a reactivity, then we do further testing to okay. confirm it. And you usually, if if you have a suspicion for syphilis, or let's say it's kind of on the line, it's not positive, but it's not negative, then you typically will have that patient repeat the testing for confirmation. And then if that were reactive, then mm-hmm. you would do tighter testing to see where their levels of this treponemum, treponemum pallidium is and okay. then kind of go off that 
it involves in-depth evaluation of their history. Okay. When was their last test possibly that was negative for syphilis? Mm -hmm. If they don't have a good recollection of where they might have acquired it. And so in-depth conversation about their sexual history is Mm -hmm. very pertinent Mm -hmm. and timelines are very pertinent. Sometimes when we see patients, they might be shocked at the personal questions we ask, but we we definitely educate that we ask a lot of these questions to clarify timelines Mm -hmm. so that not only are we performing tests where they're going to have accurate results because they've waited an appropriate incubation period, Mm -hmm. but so that we can help them in the decision-making for what is the ideal testing to do the day that they're there, or do Mm -hmm. they need to come back for follow-up? Okay. And once a patient has syphilis, there's very regular periodic testing that has to be done following treatment. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would say close watch on these patients for at least a year with good follow-up. Wow. Mm -hmm. What does the testing look like? Is it a self-swab? Is it a blood draw? Is it mainly from you, you know, looking at a certain area and going, you know what, there's something going on here. It might be this. So typically for syphilis, we have negotiated with our lab for the least expensive lab Mm -hmm. costs that I'm aware of Mm -hmm. in the Seattle area. Mm -hmm. And so the lab that we use, we've got great turnaround. They are not open on Sundays. And I Mm -hmm. think they only work half a day on Saturdays. So if it falls over the weekend, there might be some delay or Mm -hmm. of course, if there's a holiday. But I would say typically if I were to draw blood and it's done through serum blood draw, it would be back the following day. Wow. Yeah. It's great turnaround. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I had no Mm -hmm. idea that. That's great to know. (laughs) Yeah, it is good. (laughs) Where can syphilis come up like on your body the assumption is just the genitalia area but where else can you detect syphilis so syphilis probably when you think of acquisition where you're going to acquire it it's sexually transmitted so you Mm -hmm. could get it in the mouth certainly from kissing somebody if they had a shanker in their mouth and you weren't aware of it because Mm -hmm. sometimes we can't always see in in the mouth right Mm -hmm. definitely the genitalia Mm -hmm. But if you think about sexual, potential sexual sites of exposure, we're talking about the penis, the vagina, internal and external for the vagina, the anus, the rectum. Mm -hmm. And so some of those areas aren't, you you know, you can't visualize Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. well. And I obviously, I don't think people stop to think, let me do an exam, right? Right, And and you can't always see the depth of the vaginal canal. So Mm -hmm. those are basically the sites of exposure where then you would develop that primary lesion. With syphilis, then as it presents, there's lots of areas of the body that it impacts, but that's going to be individual based on how their body responds. Let's dive into King County specifically, where we're located, and most of our patients are from King County, what are the current statistics that you're running across that that is something we need to pay attention to as a community that you've that you've been able to look into, Christy? I know there's been an increase, but how much of an increase? So in regards to Washington State, I would say King County was the first county that I really learned about having an increase in syphilis. Mm -hmm. And there was um, a specific letter that was 
published for physicians, mid-level providers in regards to an increase in syphilis in the state of Washington, King County specifically. And as it turns, it's turning more into a nationwide increase Mm -hmm. as -hmm. as I've recently discovered. Mm -hmm. And so there's a great link that we will be including where I've gathered all of my information because it's a lot to sift through. And Mm -hmm. I will say there's a little bit of variation because you're looking at congenital versus women versus men versus their sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and how that might impact different populations. But the Washington State Department of Health put out a notice and strongly recommend that women 45 years and younger have an annual syphilis screening. And so I educate women at their annual wellness exams. And certainly if they come in for a vaginal complaint or for STI routine screening, just to make them aware of that increase. And this is where my patients actually informed me. I don't drive through the Capitol Hill area (laughs) on my commute, but they were telling me, oh yeah, there's graffiti everywhere sending out the message. Yeah. So I, I actually think, you know, if that's, that's one of the avenues to get the message out, that's great. But overall, then I started digging deeper. And so in Washington, I guess what I have found is that they have been consistently increasing since about 2012. And I would say that overall, and I, I'm going to ask for grace if I'm interpreting this, there are so many different charts, and I would really recommend that listeners go to the epidemiological profile for 2023 for Washington STIs Mm. because they have some amazing charts. They've got an in-depth one separated into different counties. Mm -hmm. But if I go down to King County and we look at the number of cases reported for 2017, bear with me while I go here. And so we had 864 cases reported in 2017. Mm -hmm. And over here in 2021, we have 1,342 cases. Wow. Yeah. So what I'm seeing is in the ballpark of a 50% increase amongst Mm -hmm. adults Mm -hmm. and congenital is increased over 200%, which is alarming. Wow. It's alarming. Wow. Okay. Does that mean that it's syphilis in some ways is because of the increase? Is it harder to treat these days? That's a really good question. And and it's really interesting that you mention that because I would say historically we've had some issues with drug resistance with gonorrhea mm. and not too far in the distant past, we had changed dosages for gonorrhea for IM injections. Mm. And people can refer to the CDC. They've got a great breakdown and description of STIs and treatment that's pretty easy to Mm -hmm. sift through. Mm -hmm. But with syphilis, there is a standard medication. It's a penicillin form. And if people have an allergy, you typically use doxycycline. But this penicillin apparently there is a shortage and apparently it's produced by Pfizer and 
I've read about this and I've, I've heard about it. I was mm-hmm. first came across it in the New York times and I haven't really Dived researched it, it mm-hmm. too much. There's a lot of shortages in drugs that you come across when you work in medicine and mm-hmm. in a hospital setting. So I can think of a handful of different things that are on shortage. And yeah. I'm always surprised to be quite honest, like seriously, mm-hmm. in the present day, how do we have a shortage? Yeah. And so I found myself just curious reading through this New York Times article that was printed on July 7th of 2023 mm-hmm. because there's so many different complicating variables in it down to, you know, antibiotics aren't lucrative like other drugs. And mm-hmm. so there's less desire for drug companies to make them. Mm. But when you think about an increase and not, I just, I have a hard time understanding, well, we have technology in present day, so I guess why not increase it, mm-hmm. the production? Mm-hmm. And so, but that gets even more complicated. So anyway, it's a penicillin-based injection that people would require. And based on their history mm-hmm. and being able to pinpoint the timeline of acquisition, how long have they had it, the dosing is different. Wow. Yeah. So it's so important for patients to be super, super candid with their medical providers. Absolutely. Candidness. I mean, they're, and and, and that's what I'll say during appointments with patients. I will just, just say your, your history and your timeline is critical so that mm-hmm. I can offer you the best education mm-hmm. and assessment and make a decision as to what testing you're applicable for today Mm -hmm. so that we have accurate results and can move forward. Yeah. And I would say that in regards to any STI testing, it's not specific to syphilis, Mm -hmm. but it is critical that people are candid and we we have to just have an adult conversation and sift Mm -hmm. through the history so that we can make a plan and move forward because timing is everything. Syphilis, if it's left untreated, can do a lot of damage to the body. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what if a patient hasn't been really keeping track of the partners they've been with or timelines or or whatnot, and they, not because they want to, but because out of just the pressure of the, of the appointment and, and trying to think back on the activities they've been engaging in, what if they get it wrong, you know, in the sense of incubation period or symptoms or or whatnot? Do they need to come back and say, I I need, I'm still presenting those symptoms? Or do you retest to see if the medication and the amount of medication they've received was effective or not? Yes, definitely. Okay. So if you have a reactive test and then you're checking titers, once a patient has treatment, there's there's a protocol for following up and doing retesting to make sure that the medicine's been effective. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to keep track of this patient. And I would say it's if I if I recall, it's about a, a three month repeat for about a year. Wow. And, I, you know, I think some providers and physicians might alter that. They might have their own protocol that they've developed over the course of time, Mm -hmm. or certainly they might have different testing. Like I said, it's a little complicated Mm -hmm. how they do this testing. There's different algorithms and it really depends on the testing that that particular clinic utilizes. Mm -hmm. I would say that if you have a result that's on the line where it's not fully positive, but it's not negative. So there's high suspicion. Mm -hmm. You would use your clinical judgment. Does the patient 
have a recent concern with an exposure? Does their partner have any symptoms? Mm. Do they have any clinical presentation Mm -hmm. during their exam? Mm -hmm. And so I can think of an example where I had a patient that had a reactive test, but it didn't qualify to be a positive. And so we did a thorough exam. She had no findings on exam her history was questionable, so we just mm-hmm. had her follow-up in the appropriate time. Mm-hmm. Later on, I did actually just speak with the pathologist from our lab, and apparently there were some false positives or reactive testing that occurred when people had COVID or mm. the injection. Mm-hmm. And there was some information written up about that on the CDC website as well. Mm. Unfortunately, when I tried to access the links, didn't land anywhere where I could actually sift through that information. Mm-hmm. But it is something to consider with the testing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you mean in the sense of COVID is making it more difficult to treat syphilis or COVID is triggering something? It's, it's triggering a, a reaction with the testing okay. is what I understand okay. from the pathologist that I spoke with. Yeah. Huh. Very yeah. interesting. It is interesting. Can pregnant women have syphilis and does it trans, transmit to their children if left untreated? Can, pregnant, can women that are pregnant be treated for syphilis, I guess, in the first Yes. First stance of it. And that's that's a really good question. And part of the the issue with this increase is there's been such a dramatic increase in congenital syphilis, Mm. including stillbirths, because it does Mm. transfer to the unborn child. Mm. Um, It causes all sorts of issues with that unborn child. And so you want to be very vigilant when you are taking care of a pregnant population Mm -hmm. that on their initial visit, you're going to be doing STI testing. And then you're going to evaluate history and do an in-depth history intake. And if they have risk factors in their history, then you are going to definitely repeat that syphilis screening later, Mm -hmm. even if they've had a negative Mm -hmm. result initially. Does it impact the pregnancy at all other than the the transmission to the child? But during the pregnancy, does it impact? Um, I'm I'm sure that it does at a certain level. I haven't read about how the symptoms might vary mm-hmm. in the pregnant population versus the non-pregnant population. And I think it's just so unique with different people. But mm-hmm. what I would say is the treatment with the penicillin is highly effective in pregnancy okay. and it will assist in preventing that it transfer to the baby. Let's get into some common misconceptions about syphilis. I'm, I'm reading here that rates are higher among men than women. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any thoughts on why that is? And whether, what other misconceptions do you think that we should discuss today about syphilis? So I think it's really interesting when I do my thorough STI education in clinic, a lot of people just really don't know much Mm -hmm. about the pathophysiology of multiple STIs. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate because if you think about like the public school system and sex education, Mm -hmm. I think there's great opportunity to improve that education and spend a little bit more time maybe on each individual sexually transmitted infection and how not only how it's transferred, but 
teaching people the difference between a bacteria versus a virus mm. and is it treatable, is it not treatable, and how it might impact their life long term, including future relationships, fertility, chronic pelvic pain, let's mm -hmm. say, if they had something that was undiagnosed, there mm -hmm. can be lots of things. And so with syphilis, I would say anecdotally, a lot of my patients are shocked to learn that there's three different stages. And especially knowing that the primary lesion that presents is, although it looks really uncomfortable, it's painless. And if it spontaneously resolves, that's a problem because oftentimes people will think, oh, I guess I don't need to go to the doctor or I'll cancel yeah. my appointment. Yeah. And I would just encourage people if you have some some sort of lesion or an area that you've acquired or that presents after a sexual encounter, you should have it investigated mm -hmm. and not rationalize away or delay because yeah. with syphilis and I would say with any sexually yeah. transmitted infection, you don't yeah. want to delay care, right? You want to have yeah. it assessed, figure out your timeline, do appropriate testing if you're eligible. And certainly even if you haven't met an incubation period, you can always just do, just do the panel of testing and have right. a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think back on my, you know, now that you're mentioning sex education, you know, I'm a product of the public school system out here in Seattle and I do not remember diving into the different types of STIs or what are the symptoms you should be looking for, what are the treatments. I just, I really remember, Chrissy, getting a banana and learning how to put a condom on it. That's what I remember in sex education. Yeah. And it's so more complex than that. My first exposure to sex education was fifth grade. Wow. And that's all I remember. Wow. Well, that would be something shocking, I think, as, let's be honest, a fifth grader, a young child, yeah. to be presented with a banana and a condom. Yes. But at the same time, I would say it's a lot for somebody in their youth to learn about the depth of, mm -hmm. of different diseases they can acquire. Mm -hmm. So I think timing is everything and, mm -hmm. and not overwhelming, mm -hmm. but just providing it in a, in a simple way. And I think it's just important to know that it, there's lifelong ramifications. And I would say that my adult population is sometimes shocked mm -hmm. to hear that, you know, if they have an abnormal pap and they have HPV and when they look at the genotypes of HPV, if it's an aggressive form, a lot of women are really shocked. Like, mm -hmm. why didn't anybody tell me this? Exactly. Because we'll go further with education. You know, right. maybe you should essentially give future partners informed consent, give mm -hmm. them the option. Mm -hmm. Because if somebody's engaging in oral sex and not just genital sex, you can certainly get a high risk genotype of HPV in your oropharyngeal area and mm. get a throat cancer, mm. which could be devastating mm. for mm. people. Mm. What does your conversation look look like when a patient could or could not have syphilis? Well, it depends on the, each individual, I would say. Yeah. If I find something that I'm suspicious for, mm -hmm. I, I will always tell patients that when we are evaluating them, their story, their personal story of what what things have passed in their life that they might have potentially acquired something, mm -hmm. how their symptoms unfold, 
and then the exam that I perform mm -hmm. will, it, it kind of helps you as, as a clinician mm -hmm. to consider and order what could potentially be the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And I guess just recently I'm thinking of somebody that had some vaginal lesions mm -hmm. that are of concern, mm -hmm. but I have multiple things that I would consider as a possible diagnosis. And you mm -hmm. just have to start with ruling things out until you figure out what it is and explaining mm -hmm. to the patient that we're going to work together on this. Mm -hmm. These are the options to work through as far as testing. There's a lot of education. And then we don't want to lose this patient to follow up. So we mm -hmm. want to make sure that they come back mm -hmm. until we figure out what exactly is the source of the problem. And mm -hmm. if for some reason it falls beyond the scope of our practice because we are a nonprofit clinic mm -hmm. and there are limitations to the services that we can extend, we will help those patients get plugged in somewhere where they can get the care they need. I just had a question kind of pop into my brain that I wanted to ask you about. So when the patient is being treated for syphilis because the test results show that or like you said there's like not a positive not a negative but there might be something there in that three month period should they not engage in any type of sexual activity and wait until test results are like it's clear you're okay again yeah that's a really good question and and that's where i feel like in traditional medical clinics, they're missing the boat. They're totally missing the boat. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly enough, I am very passionate about education, as you know, mm -hmm. probably over-educate because I'm also a mother yeah. and <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to see this person yeah. again. And I want to pour as much as I can into my patients sure. yeah. to a fault. And I have really in-depth conversations with people and I will challenge them until mm -hmm. we know that they're in the clear, mm -hmm. I would ask them to refrain and yeah. abstain. Yeah. 100%. And I would also challenge them if they have been sexually active with somebody to mm -hmm. be thoughtful and have a discussion with that person so that they know mm -hmm. that they're either has been a positive test or there's even maybe a concern. Mm -hmm. And I can think of actually a young university student who was positive for hepatitis just mm -hmm. this last year. And, mm -hmm. you know, in that situation, I really challenged her to share that information with her recent partner mm -hmm. so that um, this partner could get appropriate testing. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for that. Mm -hmm. So, in your opinion, why is it so important for those who are in King County right now to be knowledge about this rise of syphilis? And how should people protect themselves from, from syphilis? So what I tell people, and it's, you know, you have to have a sense of humor too, because it's just like you can sit here and talk about all these diseases and it can be scary. Mm -hmm. And I would say that intimacy has its place. And I think it's very important for human beings to partake in that. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I will just be frank with people is to prevent 
syphilis or other STIs, the best method is abstinence. Mm. And then next, practicing mutual monogamy, Mm. where both partners can have testing before they engage in sexual activity. That would be the ideal situation. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know that that doesn't happen, Mm. but I I invite all of my, you know, we're 3W Medical for Women, we primarily serve women of reproductive age. With that being said, I see people into their fifth, sixth, and seventh decade of life. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I have young girls that come in with their moms. So I really see a wide range of ages. But I always invite patients to have their partners come in because Mm -hmm. we're very accessible. We have Mm -hmm. inexpensive testing. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of people that don't have health insurance, and that's a huge concern. And so they delay getting testing or they Mm -hmm. put it off. But I really encourage them in the perfect world. I said, you know, I'll say to lots of my patients, if you can come in with your partner do your testing together. I'll educate you guys together. I can't share their results. Obviously, that's a HIPAA violation, but it's up to them. But I also challenge my patients that if your partner tells you they've recently had testing and it's negative, that you lay your eyes on that. Yeah. You look at the results, you check the name, you check the date. And I think incubation gets lost in the mix. And so really educating them that there's an incubation period. If you had a sexual encounter and you come Mm -hmm. in the next week to get tested for HIV, syphilis, and Mm -hmm. the hepatitis, Mm -hmm. it's not going to be accurate. The body hasn't produced the antibodies that Mm -hmm. would show that you have acquired. Mm -hmm. So you have to be smart about that. And that just goes back to education. Yeah. 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 And none of this sounds sexy. Yeah. (laughs) None of this sounds sexy. You know, asking your partner to show you the results doesn't sound sexy either. You know, so is getting syphilis. Yeah. That's that's also not a good thing. Yeah. to to get these days and we're not here to to shame anybody we're not here to to pass judgment on past experience or whatever we're here to educate yes. and and with syphilis being on the rise in King County specifically and we're seeing a population that's coming through our door that is exposed to um this STI we we just want you to be prudent and prepared and picky Mm-hmm. with who you share your body with mm-hmm. because it's just not fun to 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 get this and i we don't want to we don't want to downplay the importance of being tested of being safe yeah we just want to educate you and because this is just not it's just not it's not sexy no <laughs> it's, it's just not, not. <laughs> i feel like our conversations are so candid and relaxed though in our clinic i would yeah. say that once the patient understands just exactly why we're asking such in-depth questions about Mm -hmm. their sexual history, that they can appreciate that it's in the zeal to take extra, extra care of their health and wellness. And so while we're educating, we're also trying to support the greatest health for them Mm -hmm. moving forward. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, speaking about testing and timelines, when people do have treatment, there's specific guidelines for Mm follow-up. And it also depends on the site of the infection. 
for example, oral gonorrhea, Mm -hmm. that would have to be followed up with testing in seven to 14 days after Mm -hmm. treatment to be sure that it's cleared and that this is critical. Mm -hmm. And I, I really challenge my patients to take ownership of this before they go out and engage in other relationships that they see it through to the finish line, complete the, tr- the treatment as prescribed, mm-hmm. and also follow up with confirmation that the treatment has been successful. Because mm-hmm. there will be times where people might have a reinfection mm. for, you know, a variety of reasons, or maybe they've had treatment failure. And mm-hmm. those are things that we need to just be sure mm-hmm. that we see them through the finish line and that they follow up for testing. Yeah. yeah. It's just being responsible, mm-hmm. right? It's caring for our neighbor, you know, all the things we've been, we've been hearing for the last <laughs> three years a lot, but this, this falls under that same that same camp of caring for our neighbors, caring for those in our community, being responsible, being, you know, just just prudent and and good citizens, I guess, of sharing our our lives and our and our bodies with people. This this falls under that umbrella. You know, if if there's anything that would describe Christy, it is thorough. And so she takes time to go over these types of uh, education with you. And so if you're curious, if you're wondering, is this something I need to be worried about um, because I just engaged in some sexual activity that that could you know, bring these types of questions up, come on in. You know, we try to make it accessible as possible. You know, we don't take insurance. Christy said the the testing that we do is so minimal cost. The conversation with Christy is free of charge. It's only unless you need a a lab that we, we send out that we pass that cost on to you. But again, don't let that price tag prevent you from coming in and being tested and getting the answers and that you need. I'm grateful for folks like Christy who are just willing to spend the time to educate. So any any last words on syphilis, Christy? Well, I thought, why don't we go ahead and tell our listeners that the syphilis blood draw is $11. Yeah. And that is so affordable. <laughs> so affordable. For peace of mind. Yes. <laughs> prevention. And being considerate of your neighbor. Yeah. 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 And just to maintain your health. So, yeah. yeah. With, with everything costing an arm and a leg these days, $11 is for peace of mind. It's pretty good. Yeah. I would say so. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, thank you, Christy. There's for, for always educating us and, and informing us of what's going on in King County. Uh, we'll, we'll have some statistics on the description of this episode as well that you can refer back to you. And if, again, if listeners out there, if you're curious or want to learn more about this, please make an appointment and come in and see Christy, see our medical providers who are more than happy to educate and help. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Christy, for your time. Welcome. You're welcome. Happy to be here. (laughs) All right. Thanks, folks. For more information about 3W, please visit our website at 3wmedical.org. That's the number three, the letter W, medical.org. From there, you can learn more information about the services we provide. Book an appointment or make a donation if you'd like to support our mission. You can also call our office at 206 588 0311. That's 206-588-0311. If you like this episode, please share it with others and consider subscribing on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, stay healthy and be well.